Well, hello, and welcome to a new, to another edition of Ghost Stories Told from the South. I am your host, Stephen Labooth, and I got some creepy, creepy stories for you, my boys and girls. <laughs> All right, I'll quit being a creepo. How the hell is everybody, ma'am? Hope you're doing great. Hope you're doing fine. We got some more stories from around the United States today. So I hope you buckle in and get ready. And, you know, this will be my last podcast for uh, the month of September. Because next month is what, everybody? Hallow's Eve. Oh, God, I love it. And the moon last night was freaking awesome. So I'm pumped up. I got... Me and the kids going to carve some pumpkins Saturday, have a little cookout. About the little ones over. Everybody going to be carving up some pumpkins, telling some spooky stories. Getting ready for Halloween, man. I love Halloween. It's my favorite. I like it more than I do fucking Christmas. Halloween's awesome, man. But anyways, just want to say thanks to everybody real quick. Sorry about the uh, last episode being uh, out a week later. I'm still going through some technical shit with the internet around here, but supposedly it'll be a lot better and soon. So just hang with me. Thank you for listening, and you guys are awesome, man. But, um, yeah, other than that, I guess we'll uh, get ready. So go get you a nice warm blankie. Cuddle up by the fire. Get you some nice cocoa or some hot tea or whatever you prefer. And get ready for some scary, scary stuff. All right, We're, our first story is the Gettysburg, the battlefield of Gettysburg. Oh, sorry. I got to move my mic here so I can see better. Out of all the wars fought by humanity in its conflict-laden history, no other battlefield ha has witnessed so many deaths that resulted in ghostly hauntings then Gettysburg. In 1863, <coughs> excuse me, Gettysburg was nothing more than a quiet town in the Pennsylvania countryside with a population, sorry, with a population uh, roughly of uh, 2,500 people, boasting an economy based in the light industry and a small college. It was in this rural town that quite, uh, quite by accident, the troops of the Union, uh, General George G. Made Infantry, smacked into the troops of Robert E. Lee, the Confederate forces, as they were making a push northward. So basically, these two armies met at this point um, and had this big battle. All right. Sorry, I had to pause real quick. Where was that? Okay. What transpired was a was carnage rarely witnessed in any uh, field of war. The Battle of Gettysburg was fought over three days from July 1st to July 3rd. The two imposing enemies suffered as many as 57,000 casualties, making this the bloodiest battle fought on the U.S. soil. And one of the most violent companies ever wedged war, uh, wedged, uh, 
campaigns ever waged worldwide. Out of its uh, gory battlefield, many ghosts have been unleashed from the confines of history and into our present reality. Savage Swift loss of life uh, focused on one particular area is a hallmark for explaining hauntings. A Gettysburg res uh, at Gettysburg, uh, re re sorry guys, having a problem here. My tongue don't want to work. At Gettysburg, a resident soldier still wage a, wage a particular war over 150 years ago after they died. So basically what they're saying is these ghosts are kind of like caught in this uh, loop like I always talk about. When they died tragic like that, they're just stuck in its loops. So they just, that's all they do is haunt its old field for like 150 years. Uh, and uh, intelligent hauntings continue as those who left their mortal bodies on the battlefield refuse to pass over from its memorial to their essential rest in the afterlife. As we uh, wander about this battlefield and view its solomon monuments the true scale of its war comes early comes early into focus and the loss of life permits the very fabric of this area of pennsylvania in this environment union and confederate soldiers still refuse to surrender at gettysburg this nation was divided as never before brother fighting against brother over uh idiot and greeds that could that would soak its field with blood and pursue the hauntings that make the site so creepy <clears throat> all right I'm gonna talk about the first part here called the devil's den the devil's den is a repu uh, repu or the devil's den has a reputation for being one of the most active hot spots on the battlefield the fighting in this area was so intense that the entire location surrounding Devil's Den became known, known as the Valley of Death. Devil's Den is an area marked by large boulders between two rocks, hills, and little road stop, and a big round top. While most assume it got its name during a shortly... Uh, there shortly after the Civil War. The truth is that the site was called the Devil's Den well before the war. People living in the area, area before the Civil War said that spot was the site of Native American conflict of a Native American conflict called the Battle of the Crows. The site was already haunted before the Union and the Confederate clashed. Another bit of uh, information in folklore was that the devil's the devil himself resides in its place and from an enormous any and he forms into an enormous snake lying cold within the uh, figures in the rocks wanting to unleash hell upon the land but the devil's den has earned its internet or yeah international fame from the event that unfolded on the uh, battlefield of Gettysburg. See, I didn't know that, that that area 
already was the site of a bloody battle between two in, uh, Indian tribes. Yikes. A lot of ghosts there. On the second day of battle, July 2nd, 1863, the area around the Devil's Den saw extreme fighting between approximately 7,900 men, Confederates, Confederate sharpshooters who fired at the Un Union Army on top of a uh, little round top, used the uh, resources and cover and the boulders for, uh, you know, cover. By the time the battle ended, over 2,600 men had been killed and in around Devil's Den. So many Confederate soldiers were killed between the Devil's Den and Little Round Top that it was often referred as the Slaughter Pen. A creek between Little Top and the Devil's Den became known as Bloody Run because it ran with blood after that fatal day, unfortunately. And then heavy rain on July 4th of 1863 caused the creek to flood, drowning a few wounded soldiers and being taken in the uh, take or taken to the uh, field hospital. At the Devil's Den, many people report badger batteries drained of their power and noises or even voices recorded on uh, the EVPs. But some witnesses have witnesses have professed other spiritual activities. The ghost of the sharpshooter Alexander Gardner is one of the uh, phantoms often witnessed witnessed at its site. Seen seeking or seen sneaking behind rocks when approaching, the spirit vanishes. So it lurks around the rocks when it gets close to you. <clears throat> it vanishes without a trace. Oddly, a relative figure sighting in Devil's Den area is that of a dish, dish of a dishvowed young man, also described as a barefoot wearing shabby clothes and a floppy hat. He often approaches people and tells them what they're, what, what are you looking for? Or what are you looking for is over there. So basically he's going up to people and saying what you are looking for is over there. While pointing towards the small creek known as Plum Run. He then promptly disappears. Leaving those that have encountered him baffled. This odd ghost was made a name. Has made a name for the uh, people who visit the uh place and the people that live there so at least he's a cool one he's trying to point them to something that's weird though what you're looking for is over there maybe he's in a knows something okay this part is called little round top at gettysburg it is said that the 20th main division was marching towards gettysburg when they came to the fork in the road and found themselves unsure of which direction to go seemingly out of an out of the nowhere a mounted rider appearing wearing a somewhat unusual odd and old finished old-fashioned uniform who directed them on which way to go eventually leading them to the top of little round top where those troops became famous for replying 
one of their first massive assaults on the Union lines. Even as they followed its unnamed rider, many soldiers found his appearance unusual, particularly the eerie glow which seemed to exude from him. When he could no longer be found among the men at the crest of Little Round Top, many were convicted that this helpful soldier was not to this earth. As history unfolded, Little Round Top was successfully defended and collimated in a vicious downhill uh, bayonet. Charging the lead to the slaughter of the Confederates. Basically, I guess this guy was in the front with his bayonet. And Even today, a ghostly rider on his pale horse has been seen by the visitors to this site. So, too, have the uh, cries of suffering being recorded. And the sound of battle appears to be imprinted into the very rocks and grass of the little round top. So basically, this story is about a uh, ghost rider, I guess you could call him. How he comes out and helps the soldier, was helping the soldiers and kind of showed them where to go. See, that's kind of weird, too. Fucking creepy. I mean, in the middle, middle of, uh, in the middle of battle. That's just crazy. Sorry if my uh, reading sucks dick tonight. Okay, where was I at? Okay, now we're going to talk about Big Round Top at Gettysburg. Big Round Top is a rugged hill that formed the southern edge of the Gettysburg battlefield. Big Round Top was the high point of the battlefield, but was not suited for artillery because it was so steep. It was steep, and it had big old trenches with boulders, and it was heavily wooded. wooded. To this day, it's very hard to get to, they say. Big Round Top appears to be haunted by the uh, ghost of General Elian Fransworth. <coughs> Late on July 3rd, Union uh, General Johnson. Oh, uh, yeah. I ain't going to say his full name because that's retarded. I'm just going to say Union, uh, Union General Johnson ordered the cavalry Brigade of the Brigade General Alain Farnsworth to charge the Confederate Infantry Division who were on the slopes of the Big Round Top. During this unsuring battle, Farnsworth fell, was uh, mortally wounded, shot five times, and died on the, on the field. This ill-advised charge ordered by Johnston killed uh, kill Calvary. Kill Calvary, that was his nickname, which Fansworth had gave him, I guess. Essentially, it ended the Union offense at Gettysburg. Sometimes he is still seen to this day mounted on his horse, witnessed by people walking the field or coming to visit. So... There's still a general that uh, checks the field out. Triangular Field of Gettysburg. Yeah, uh, the triangular field is situated just northwest of Devil's Den. Hundreds of accounts have been reported from this field. 
including the vaporous apparitions of Confederate sharpshooters hiding among the rocks near the bottom of the field. Disembodied rebel yells have been heard yelling out across the field, and some visitors report seeing impressions of bodies in the grass. Cannon blasts and Augusta screaming in pain are reported throughout the entire Gettysburg field, especially here at the uh, triangular field. Even today, the sounds of moaning and dying soldiers are still heard as their, as their ghost uh, continues to stay here. The land is a residential reminder of the war between the states. And the Union soldiers have been spotted on, this, on these fields, have left their impression. Visitors to the, site, to the place and uh, workers there see Union soldiers and Confederate soldiers a lot in this area. They said that you may experience a full-body apparition or a faint whisper from an unseen soldier in your ear. <laughs> That's awful nice, isn't it? Now we're going to talk about the Jenny Wade house. Not all battles are fought on the field. Limited to enemy combatants, <laughs> indeed the horrors of war often hits close to home. As the only civilian casualty during the Battle of the Gettysburg, Jenny Wade's death is a glaring reminder that all suffered when war is waged. Jenny Wade was born in Gettysburg, where she lived at home with her mother, Mary, Mary, and three brothers and two sisters. When the Battle of the Gettysburg began on July 1st, Mary Wade felt unsafe as the war was wearing just outside their front door. So Mary picked up her family, taking them to the home of the eldest Wade sister, Georgia Anna, thinking it would be the safer of the two homes. Jenny and her mother helped uh, lock or look after Georgia and her five-day-old uh, son while there. Unfortunately, later that afternoon, the Wades found themselves in a heated crossfire, staying calm. Jenny uh, brought food and water to Union soldiers while helping to care to her uh, older sister and baby nephew through the remainder of the evening. It was later learned that over 150 bullets hit the Wade home during the uh, siege. Sadly, as young Jenny uh, completed her her duty of making bread and dough and dough and all that. A stray bullet peered through the house and passed through two doors, striking her in the back and tumbling through to her heart, killing her instantly. Killed at the tender age of 20, Jenny Wade's spirit seems to still re uh, resonate at the uh, house, which still stands today. You can even go visit the house. Now we're going to talk about the Sasha's Covered Bridge. Sasha's Covered Bridge was built in Gettysburg in 1854 to span across Marsh Creek. After all that, or that, it was what bridges are designed to do. Well, yeah. 
But was the Civil War waged in Gettysburg? This bridge seemed to have spanned a creek in the very re, re, uh, in the very world of life and death. Legend has it that the three Confederate soldiers were hanged from the Sasha-covered bridge rafters. Many visitors have claimed to have, have witnessed full-bodied apparitions of the unfortunate soldiers, uh, many experiencing physical contact such as being touched or even uh, violently their hair will be pull, pulled, and they are hearing eerie voices echoing within the bridge. Many witnesses have reported that the horror, the scary sightings of three disbottled heads floating on the bridge. So you got heads floating, uh, sounds apparently, and apparitions of these soldiers being hung. The unique sound of a distant gunfire is heard on the bridge at night, as well as the well of cannons echoing from the distant past. Yeah, that's crazy how situations like that, like war and just any mad situation, it's kind of imprinted on the land, too. Not just in time, it's imprinted, but on the land. So it's like, it don't know nothing but that war, it's like. It's crazy. <clears throat> this looks like our last one on Gettysburg. Is uh, the Ever Everson Pits. Strange phenomenon at the Everson Pits have been documented as far back as the 19th century, making it the oldest haunted site in Gettysburg. On the afternoon of the first day of fighting, more than 900 of Everson's Bridge died. In the uh, grass, after a few short minutes, a coming... Uh, under a brutal attack, days after the battle ended, and the fallen bodies were entirely in rows of hastily dug trenches, and served as makeshift. They served as makeshift graves. Graves. As time passed, the graves settled, visibly marking the field with sunken holes where the trenches have been dug. Locals dumped the grim spot. Iron's pits ever since he ever since the end of the Civil War there have been tales of, of spectacle figures and unexplained lights in this area well that kind of I mean if they were making a mass cemetery like that and just digging shallow graves to stick these bodies in yeah I'd say um, I'd say that's a little um, that makes somebody mad all right, let me get a swaller. All right. Our next story is the Mark. All right. The Mark Twain house, or Mark Twain mansion. The Mark Twain, ma the Mark Twain house or a museum now, in Hartford, Connecticut, provides insight into the man who created classic literature characters such as Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. It's also a place where you just might run into a ghost. 
with reports of ghostly encounters alongside the history and lore of an American literature icon. Mark Twain's family home is a must-see for everyone. All right, here is the history of the place. Mark Twain's family home in Connecticut, in Hartford, Connecticut, has seen triumph, tragedy, and some, uh, some, some darn good storytelling. Samuel Clemens, Mark Twain, or anyway, Samuel Clemens, his wife Olivia, and their three daughters. Anyway, Samuel Clemens, that was Mark Twain's name. Anyways, and their three daughters, Jean, Suey, and Clara, moved into their newly built home in 1874. The family was happily was was happy for many years, and Twain wrote some of the most important works while living there, including The Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Oh wait, The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huck Finn, of Huckleberry Finn. And a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court. Eventually, financial problems forced the family to travel to Europe in 1891, so Twain could, or Mark Twain, could tour in literature. The family traveled together for a few years, but Susie returned to the family home in 1896, suffering from spinal meningitis. She died there in August of that year, leaving behind her heartbroken parents and sisters. None of the Clemson's family ever returned to the home. The family sold the house in 1903. Today it is a national historical landmark and a museum to celebrate the life of Marcus Twain. All right, talking about Susie's spirit in its place. There are quite a few ghosts residing in Mark Twain's house. Many believe that they have seen the spirit of Susie Clemens wandering about the house. In fact, one woman believes she was possessed by Susie's spirit while on the house tour. The Hispanic woman, who did not speak English, according to her niece, was pushed aside, was pushed against the wall. Everyone on the tour thought she was having a seizure. She began to speak in an American accent about getting out of here and looking for Mama. At the time, no one could understand what was going on and simply thought the woman had been taken ill. It wasn't until later when the museum received a letter from the woman's niece that they uh, realized the incident was paranormal. The niece explained how her aunt felt as though someone had taken possession of her body. She also wanted to be clear that the aunt did not speak in English, yet during the accent, she spoke very clear English. Pretty creepy. And here's some of the uh, encounters of the staff, and I guess people that have lived there. You don't have to convince the staff that there are spirits in this house. One employee caught the fleeting sight of a woman dressed in white darting across the grand hall into the dining room from where she vanished. The museum staff was heard, has heard disembodied voices 
and smelt cigar smoke in the various places in the house, especially in the ballroom where Clemens wrote his novels. Hearing the sound of children's laughter and and phantom steps, as well as glimpsing playful orbs occurring frequently in the main house, there have been other incidents incidents in the uh, basement where the staff has heard a growling a growling sound on one of the security guards had a silver a silver serving tray thrown at him while it was while he was in the basement that's I'd yeah I'd be getting the hell out of that basement I'd be like sorry <coughs> Other uh, other unnerving incidences include several sightings of the translated of the translute woman in period garb on the first and second floors. An African American male is seen on the third floor. This is the floor where the family where the family butler George Griffin's bedroom was located. Griffin was a freed slave who worked for the Clemens family for the for 17 years. When the Clemens family moved moved, Griffin retired to New York. However, whenever Samuel returned to America, he always traveled to New York to visit the George to visit with George. Clemens based the uh, character Jim on his novel Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. On George Griffin. The ballad room seems the ballroom or ballard room. That's where they have their like uh, poker tables, uh, pool table, you know, them kind of games, darts. Anyways, that room seems to be the hot spot for the activity that includes knocking and unexplained banging, as well as uh, disembodied voices, some of which enter their groups. Enter, ah, some of which entire tour groups have heard. Many, okay, many believe Samuel's spirit is the cause of the paranormal activity in this room. One evening, the fire alarms went off in the Ballard in the Billard room. When security in the fire department arrived. There was no fire or smoke, but everyone could smell cigar smoke. Dun, dun, dun. All right, here's some of the, here's some of the uh, experiences that people have caught there. Some evidence that uh, this place is haunted. Another investigating group, Givens Paranormal, recorded a number of EVPs taping sounds in very various locations in the house. These uh, the sci-fi show Ghost Hunters investigated uh, the bangings, knocks, and high MVP spikes and shadow movement. Ghost Hunters Academy ca- captured knocks, bangs, and EVPs too. The investigators reported seeing shadow movement and they felt as though something was touching touching them at times 
and breathing on them. When Rio, when renewed demonologist Lauren Warren and her nephew John Zaff and Zaffs, a paranormal researcher, investigated the house, they reported feeling spirit energy. While the museum does not allow any photos or videos on their tours, they do pay close attention to the paranormal experiences that guests eerily share with them. The only photo of a spirit of spirits are ones that guests have taken outside the house. The museum has a few photos that visitors have taken that show a face in the window on the porch. Dun 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 All right, that's it for that one. All right, now we got another story. All right, our next story is the Masonic Temple in Detroit, Michigan. This temple is the largest Masonic temple. This temple is an is an impressing Gothic structure at the corner of Bag Street and 2nd Avenue across from Gas Park or Case Park within its walks are in large cathedral several chapels two stylish ballrooms hotel faculties a library a massive uh, drill hall and a 4,000 seat auditorium Featuring the largest professional stage in the city. It was designed to uh, accommodate over 400 individuals Masonic lodges. The architect in the mastermind behind the building was George D. Mason. George D. Mason was born in Syracuse in New York in 1856. And in 1870 his family relocated to Detroit. In 1875, he began working for Hugh Smith, a local architect. He quickly switched to the firm of Henry T. Bush, where he took one of whoops, he took on the work of the George O. Robinson House, Detroit Public Library, and the Renaissance Gills House. Mason broke from the firm establishing Mason and Price in 1878 with Rice. From 1884 to 1896, Albert Kane, who would become another famed Detroit architect, worked with the firm. Mason and Rice dissolved in 1998, and Mason continued to work on his own, establishing Mason, the Mason and Company. <coughs> <coughs> After Mason uh, struck out on his own, he designed significant buildings in Detroit like the the Pocachore Train Hotel, the Detroit Yacht Club, and the Herman Kiefer Hospital. During this time, interested in Masonic features was growing in Detroit and he in the current spaces 
used by the various clubs in the city were large enough to support expanding memberships. Okay, here's some of the rumors that they debunked, that they're, that they uh, have debunked, I guess. The Freemasons, the Masonic fraternity, the people was built for the often regarded as a mysterious group with rumors swirling around their activities. But no one, but no one rumor about the architect of the largest Masonic temple in the world is loud enough for us historians to hear about. Rumors are widely reported, even in news outlets, that George Mason uh, overdid the spending on its construction of the temple, causing bankruptcy. The rumor even goes on to say that his wife left him because of it. And as the story goes, Mason distraught, distraught over the loss of his finances and over his finances and losing to his wife. Uh, he died by suicide by jumping off the top of the 200-foot building. The story is the story is told by guards, documents, and even attendants claiming to see Mason's ghost climbing the stairs to his death, closing closing windows, and stealing and hiding items. So apparently, this dude killed himself in this building, and his ghost still haunts it. And some people will see him climbing up to the window to jump out of it. I mean, man, see, that would suck, being a ghost and being stuck in a loop like that. Um, while the story makes for a great, a great Halloween horror tale, it's not true. George Mason died in 1948 at 91 years old in the home in the uh, Wilshire apartment building in Grand Boulevard. Maybe it's because the building was constructed for a secret organization or because its imposing size dominates the, the neighborhood. But stories about the Masonic Temple and its haunted history are still told every year around Halloween. And while they might be ghosts hiding in the uh, rooms, we do, we won't be the ones to prove it, and we'll stick to the historical facts. That's what they say. But there have been sightings of ghosts, and you know, so they're, you know, and back then, you know, probably a lot of people didn't keep records. Somebody might have killed their, might have killed herself, but it might not have been that guy. All right, let's get our last story uh, going for today. All right, our last story is the Miss Mizpah Hotel in Topola, New Mexico, it looks like. All right. While the hotel is one of the area's oldest structures, it was predated by the Mizpah Saloon which opened its doors in 1907. The hotel was financed by George Wingfield, Gal Barger, and George Nixon, and Bob Govan. A few Nevada's, a few of Nevada's most well-known financiers. The hotel was designed by George Hallsworth of Reno. The men who financed the hotel owned other Tapoa businesses. 
<coughs> and mining companies. <clears throat> the hotel was given a the hotel was given a fake of stories on the sides and rear. The neighborhood Bar Coven Block served as the first Miss Pa Hotel and remains excuse me, connected, which means the building is still all together. The two buildings were joined with a wooden stairway and the hotel was even the location of the first elevator in in Totoma. According to legend, Wilder kept the Mississippi Saloon. Jack Dempsey was a bouncer, and Howard Hughes married Jean Peters at the Mississippi Hotel. A flurry of activity, while other stories state that the timing of the Mississippi just doesn't add up with the lives of these men. <coughs> the hotel features a Jack Dempsey room in a Wilder bar. The Massapod changed hands a few times through the years until Frank Scott of Las Vegas purchased it in 1979. He updated the hotel to include modern, modern, uh, modern appliances, all while preserving the. Uh, all, all while preserving the uh, antiqueness of the uh, hotel and the romance that first drew him and his guests to the hotel in the first place. The hotel's renovation cost $4 million, and the work took two and a half years to complete. I'm going to say this, but after all these renovations, they probably started having a lot of ghost activity. Just saying. Since 1999, the hotel was... Uh, shuttered and shut down and quit and frequently only by the spirits that call the misfit the piss by uh, miss by home in early 2011 the hotel was purchased by fred and nancy klein of klein sellers in sonoma who who rose is is not the only spirit and what the Oh, okay. I got to go to the other side. My bad. Okay, renovations. One of these spirits reported. Where was I at? Damn it. Whose renovations. Okay, whose renovations the... Uh, okay, renovations and reopened the building in the public in the August... In August of the same year. The hotel now bossed, bossed 47 rooms, a bar, two restaurants, and there are even plans to add a casino to the property. These days, the hotel, ho the hotel hosts guests from all over Nevada visiting the area. Ghost hunters looking to experience the strangeness of the Clown Motel and the Tapote... Tapota Cemetery. More importantly, the hotel is home to the Lady in Red. Oh, we got a Lady in Red, not a Lady in White. Thank God. Anyways, the Lady in Red and other unexplained entities. Here are some of the hauntings at the hotel. According to the according to U.S. Today, ten 
10 Best Reader's Choice Awards, the hotel is the nation's number one haunted hotel. The building is rumored to be completely infested with ghosts and legends of strange occurrences have been coming out of the hotel since it's since it since it was a uh, god dang it I can't think this morning once it got renovated one one special one special okay sorry little tongue tied the building is rumored to be completely infested with ghosts and legends of strange occurrences have been coming out of the hotel since it's uh, oh since it opened one especially horrific story tells of a U.S. Senator, Key Pittman, dying in the hotel in 1940, being kept on ice in one of the hotel bathtubs. With 111, with 111 years of tough Nevada history, the hotel's ghosts have made, a, have made themselves known to everybody. The current owners of the hotel, the Kleins, welcome the spirits of the hotel and the state that the ghosts delight in, in interacting with guests. One spirit reported at the hotel is that of Rose, a murdered prostitute. Guests report her presence after their, item, after their items mysteriously move from one place to another. Rose was a high-class lady of the night that lived on the top floor of the uh, hotel. She was strangled in the hotel by a jealous John-turned-lover who wanted her to stop her line of work. She refused and sadly met her fate in the same room guest can now book and spend the night in. <laughs> okay. Okay, here we go. Rose isn't the only spirit in the hotel. There's also a nameless soldier who is reported to haunt the third and fourth floors of the hotel. Excuse me. His name is unknown. All of that is all that is known in that that he died at the hotel. There's also a pair of ghostly children who haunt the third floor. They're known to play pranks on the guests and are most often seen in hotel rooms and hallways. <coughs> uh, where was I? Multiple guests, multiple guests have reported hearing giggling and hearing the doors open and shutting on their own. That would be some creepy shit, dude. You thought that was all. Not quite. There's also two bank robbers who were murdered during a heist by the uh, co-conspirator. Their ghosts are said to haunt the basement, giving cold chills and strange sensations to visitors and staff who happen to find themselves in the basement. Here's some more hauntings around the hotel. Pretty much right down the street from the hotel, lies the cemetery and clown motel. There's uh, even a so-called curse that sets over the uh, that sets over Topoa or to Topoa. I'm saying it all wrong. Tamoa. The curse of Tamoa started with the Tamoa 
mine fire. On February 23rd of 1911, the mine fire killed 17 miners with with the way the men or with the way the mine was constructed there two oh there lie two shafts one upcast and another downcast i don't know i guess that means one's going up and one's going down i take it i don't know i'm not a professional miner the fire was uh noted around 5 5:50 a.m. After about an hour of searching for it, they noticed a fire burning some timber that had been peeled or piled near the uh, bottom of the shaft. A small lit candle was thought to be the blame for the fire. When it was first discovered, the superintendent of the time told everyone to ignore it and go back to work. Since the fire was in a separate location, most of the miners protested. But the threat of being fired was enough to push them deep into the uh, mines that day. After a few hours, the superintendent noticed that the flames were spreading quickly. Excuse me. And men told them to withdraw. And, oh, and men were told to withdraw everyone from the mines except those actively fighting the fires. Men were scattered all over, untrained and, and disobeyed orders. The result in many of them being trapped within the mine in the uh, middle or the middle of the smoke and flames. Due to the mines to the mines setup, a reversal of air currents through the mine spread through spread through to make the, the blaze faster then the miners miners were able able to escape so basically what happened the fire was spreading too fast in the in the mine in the mine and they the miners couldn't get out in time because it was spreading too fast uh 14 of those men that died now burn now bur now are buried at the cemetery Visitors to the cemetery report seeing strange orbs and disembodied voices. But the motel next door is the real haunted spot. Named America's Scariest Motel, the Clown Motel is built a stone's throw away from the old graveyard filled with the bodies of tragedies of the past. Midway between Vegas and Reno, the Clown Motel was a was a battle lion of ghostly-eyed, curious clowns, its owner swearing to the guests who stumble in that it's not fun and safe. It's not a fun and safe place to rest for the night. <coughs> Excuse me. Visitors to the clown motel swear that it's haunted. Legend states that the Clown Status Act as is vessels. For the miner's ghost. Okay, so basically what they're saying is these clowns in this motel were like the vessels for these dead miners. Uh, where was I at? God dang it. They pose the they possess the dolls and come to life. Apparitions have been seen walking to and from the graveyard, and disembodied voices have been heard saying 
or yeah, saying, we mined and we died that day. We mined and died that day. That's a tongue tongue twister. If you go back far enough in history, the Pablo the Pablo Native Americans dressed in clown-like costumes, releasing their own personalities and welcoming possessions of nearby spirits, with their identities ever changing. Perhaps clowns allow for portals into the spirit world. Even the uh, motel's owner owners say that he hears footsteps and knocking from the uh, unoccupied rooms of the hotel. Apparitions of a man have been reported leaving the cemetery and walking around the property at all hours of the night. When one of the previous owners attempted to contact the spirit, he froze and properly vanished. Even more, clowns themselves have been seen leaving the cemetery Balloons and all. That's kind of some creepy stuff, man. Well, I hope y'all enjoyed my stories today. Yeah, sorry I didn't have this ready this morning. Like I normally do. I was uh, up last night with the kiddos around the fire. We had some s'mores around the fire last night. I was telling some scary stories. But tonight, you know, we're going to carve some pumpkins and get ready for Halloween. But I'm glad you guys came by for the ride. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everybody who listens around the world. I think it's freaking awesome. Um, yeah, I think it's awesome. But until next time, guys, be scary and be scary. And remember, Halloween's around the corner. So next time you hear this, it will be the season of Hallow's Eve. Man, I love Halloween, guys. Ah. All right, guys. I will see y'all later. Got a big day ahead of me. Going to get the yard dressed up for Halloween. Carve some pumpkins tonight. Whoo! Yes. Well, all right, guys. Y'all be good. We will see y'all later. Be scary. And uh, thank you for listening. And thank you. Uh, just thank you, period. Because my numbers are growing. The show's growing. And it's awesome. So thank, thank you, guys. And uh, we'll holler at you later.